0: If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast Community Group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at pod so
1: this is probably the least amount of people that we've played to in quite a long time. <laughs> it's also the best this felt in quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Sound check, you know, we do a sound check and play first. It didn't, it didn't feel good at all. <laughs> but once you guys were here just been great. It's really nice. And I'll also say that, this is the, you know, since this is the first show in Japan and being back in Sendai in this very same room, we, we forgot how early you're supposed to start. So we still feel like we should play until about. Eleven thirty or something. So. And
2: and
1: I think some of the some of the folks must have come from work because I see more ties in the audience than usual. I I think if you wear the same clothes tomorrow, they won't even notice. I think it'll be all right.
0: And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone
2: gotcha. Fucking camera in the dirt. Mr. Boom Gasper.
1: You can call me L. You can call me Ed. You just, just fucking call me.
0: Hey, everybody. Now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we have a real interesting one for you this week. It is Sendai Japan from 2003. We've been talking about this a lot for the last couple weeks, kind of prepping you guys. And the response that we've gotten actually was really positive on this. And I think that a lot of people go back to these shows especially, but even 1995 as well, where they did a bunch there, where it just feels like something completely different in the catalog that they haven't really replicated for any other kind of shows. You know, these are small venues. They're small buildings with small capacity and they're playing to crowds that aren't like the European and the U S crowds. They're not going to go crazy for certain songs. They're very polite. They're very reserved. So a lot of these things kind of come into conversation here and we'll do our best to make it. So, you are back in Japan from 20 years ago because this is the 20th anniversary of this show. So let's celebrate it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. yeah. Me
3: in the category of loving these kind of weird shows. Like, they're so unique in their catalog, and they're kind of the last of the time, too, because, yeah, there hasn't been anything like this since.
0: No, and it's interesting because do you think after this... Do you think they say, like, maybe we kind of put the brakes to it a little bit? Maybe we kind of find other places to go? Or, like, that's been on my mind a little bit of, like, why? Why were these five the last time that they would try it? Because, they, I mean, they would go down to Australia, not, not as much as the Australians and everybody else would like. But you can package the two together like they did in this year, and they never decided to do that again. So do you think that... And Ed will say at this show that he likes having the crowd like this, but do you think that kind of... And there is another thing at play that I can kind of get into, but it, it really makes more sense for 1995. Do, do you think that could be a reason why? Or?
3: I mean, maybe for a band that like really plays off the crowd more than a lot of their peers, Like they need that energy coming from a crowd to kind of elevate their performance. Like Pearl Jam relies on that. We've seen that and they don't get that at these shows you know from i think five horizon says there's like there's no screaming allowed at this show like a very kind of reserved crowd which you will hear like there's a lot of versions of songs here that are very unique because you don't hear anything but yeah i think that possibly could be they just maybe be like this maybe just doesn't work like is it worth the effort and the time and the money to get over there, to have these kind of weird one-off kind of shows that you're not going to get the same response that you would normally get in, like, a Western country.
0: Yeah, the financial thing was actually kind of on my mind here a little bit because you have to go back to 1995, the last time that they did uh, Japan, and then they went down to the Philippines, they went down to Taiwan, and did a couple of those places down there, Singapore. And I think it was difficult for them back then because they were losing money off of having to put their equipment on boats and ship their equipment that way from place to place and like that's easy to see as to why they didn't add any of those other places within japan because i guess within japan you can just kind of do it by land but I wonder if because of everything involved, because it was, and this show apparently slated to be uh, 800 to a thousand is what, what's reported here, but I wonder if they're losing money because of that, because of the factor that it takes a lot of money to, to go into actually putting on a show, and if the gate is not going to be the same as what they're getting in big arenas in the States, in Europe, or even in australia then are they actually losing money from this
3: could be and you know they did the five shows i think there's you know playing at budokan at, in tokyo is the big one you know that's you know you go back to cheap trick live at Budokan and all you're listening to that bootleg and you hear the crowd going crazy and like that's obviously the one i think this one sendai is the smallest probably town of the five But I think this one, they maybe chose to be first, like, if this one is going to be, you know, smaller, then we'll kind of work our way into it, like we've seen them do in other places, almost like a warm-up for the country, but... I think as you as you build up into the Budokan and Osaka shows, it gets a little better. It gets a little more like what we're used to. But this one, especially of the five, is considered, I think, the weirdest. And I think you read about the venue, looks like it's pretty weird. And I think this is one that a lot of people go back to as being like, this is a singular one. There, there aren't many shows like this in their catalog.
0: Yeah, and it's it's funny because they actually opened up in 1995. This was the first Japanese show they did in 1995 yeah. as well, so I wonder if the same kind of idea went in mind for that, to kind of just prepare them for everything else that's coming instead of saying, all right, well, here's an 8,000-seat venue, and now five days later you're going to play in a place that might hold 1,000. Like That would be a really weird and kind of almost disheartening way to go about it. But you're right on the set list being weird. And this kind of sets the tone, it being first for everything else being weird on this. And I think that maybe because, you know, you're not gonna go back and get the buzz in the States and you're not gonna go back and have that same like newsworthy kind of set list that are they thinking during all this, it's just like here's everything that maybe we've always kind of toyed with, and maybe we've kind of always joked that we wanted to do. It's a let's try everything kind of tour. If we want a song that has never been played in the number two spot to kind of fill in that gap, or, you know, if we want to play all of the riot act songs, which there are a ton at this show, then they can have that opportunity to play four in a row because it's not like you're worried about losing your crowd or anything. It's that we're going to play a show and a set list to our likeness and what we're feeling at this time and what we feel like we can excel playing at.
3: That seemed a little strange to me, too, because if you're in a foreign country, you know, halfway around the world and you want to get a crowd on your side, like, why wouldn't they come out and do a bunch of 10 songs? Like, come out and do Why Go, do garden break out some of the older ones that you know are gonna connect with people but they went the opposite way and there's a ton of ride act there's a ton of binaural even here which makes you think like yeah that seems like the opposite of what most bands would do in a spot like this they would come out and play quote unquote the hits let's do the old ones so that we get these people on our side and like make this remember but like pearl Jam's not going to do that they went the other way
0: yeah. Count the hits in the main set here. There's 17 songs. If you want like hits and things that are recognizable to this crowd, you have the seventh song is even flow. You have the 12th song is better man. And then closing out the main set is yep. do the evolution. Yeah. And you have what one other that's from the first two records and blood and that's it. Yep. So, yeah, you're really, they're they're not worried about that at all. They're not worried about trying to give them everything that they, and we talked about this before, and especially South America, where they didn't show up until after the Riot Act Tour, where it's kind of making up for all the lost time, playing the Ten in Versus songs. They didn't do any of that here. It was just kind of like, here's all the songs that are on our mind. Here's maybe some that we want to start getting better at. Maybe like, you know, when you're thinking about Riot Act, like a half full or a crop duster really haven't played a whole lot to this point yet, Bush or even, that maybe they're just kind of saying, all right, well, we have a full two legs of pretty rigorous touring that are coming up in the next couple months. So if we're going to start working on songs, this is the place to really work on them and get better at them live.
3: I think, too, this almost feels like it's a little bit voyeuristic, too. And I think we talked about this with How Do We Say? It's like you're almost listening to them practice. It's almost like a glorified rehearsal. And like, yeah, you're hearing them work out a lot of the new songs, a lot of stuff from Binaural that maybe didn't get a lot of plays that they're going to try to refresh themselves on. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards this because it's like it's more of an intimate setting you know it's not something that you're gonna you're gonna hear every time you know we come here every week and talk about oh the crowd was great and like the crowd made the show and they got this call and response and this really elevated the performance but none of that here so it's 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 a very different look at what a Pearl Jam show is
0: All right, so let's kind of, before going into the set list, at least mention the first four songs, because it's going to get us into what the question of the week here was, and the way that you're, and again, we're going to get into this way more when we actually break the set list down, but the way that you're starting the show already, you're from the first four songs in on this little mini five-show run, you're saying, okay, the book is being thrown out there, Of the Girl, Immortality, Insignificance, and Half Full, and that's such a unique combination that, you know, they're not trying to throw a Corduroy kind of song in. They're not trying to throw what you could say to be a spectacle song in there from the beginning. They're just kind of throwing in songs that make sense to play together. And it doesn't matter what the crowd's going to do to react to them. It's just, here's what we decided to go here, and here's what you're going to hear from us. So I think that the question of the week is kind of based off of that, and I wanted people to curate a four-song open to a set that would kind of have the same identity as this, that would start off with songs that maybe you don't hear in those spots, and then after this little section, you can kind of take off into corduroys and even flows and all that. So why don't you share some things from Twitter before I get into some Facebook stuff?
3: Yeah. Yeah. We had a few uh, responses here. Some really good ones. Thanks to everyone who did. I like uh, Ryan Frank posted Retrograde, Thumbing My Way, Santa Cruz, and Force of Nature.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because you're taking a song that has only been played 11 times, and that's like your pick-me-up song of all these four. So yeah, in, in like the Pearl Jam world that we're living in right now, no force of nature wouldn't be the one that gets the crowd going and into it. But if you're just playing to put songs together that all kind of collaborate and mesh well, then perhaps. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. And maybe that kind of elevates the song. Maybe that kind of leads the band to, you know, get kind of uh, excited about it again.
3: Yeah. Like you never know, like so many of their, Songs that are so underrated like that, like I love retrograde into Thumbing My Way, period, wherever that shows up. But yeah, you think of this like, would this work at, at Wrigley Field? Probably not. But if they're playing, you know, somewhere kind of out of the way, and yeah, why not go for it?
0: I'm going to take this one from Ben Bosclair, and he says, Breath, Red Mosquito, Tremor Christ, and In My Tree. That's going in a totally different direction, but these four don't typically get played in. In My Tree, I guess you can kind of say, has been in the three and the four a little bit before, but not often. So you're taking one Vitalogy, two No Code, and then one of the single songs and kind of meshing them all together, but it's more energy. It's more upbeat. Like, this is something that I think you can do in an arena or a big kind of festival ground, and people will react to it the way that they should be reacting to it.
3: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Drummer Christ especially. That was one that I had as well on mine. I've got Melissa P. I like this because she kind of stuck with the Binaural Riot Act theme that we have here. She said, inside job, evacuation, ghost, green disease.
0: Yeah, that that really fits the mold right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to throw those in. It's just, again, some of the more forgotten Pearl Jam songs out there. I got one from evacuation here, too. Mike Radke said evacuation is an opener going into getaway, then MFC and gone. I wonder if there's a theme there. There mm. seems like it. Okay. Yeah, that's you're, you're telling a narrative there.
3: I got another one that kind of fits the theme here. Jacob Watts just posted a few minutes ago and said, save you Satan's bed rival in hiding.
0: I do like Rival near the top, and I kind of like In Hiding near the top, too. I think those are two songs that are usually and, and by usually. Rival is not a by usually, by definition kind of song, but you, you kind of expect it more in the middle. You expect In Hiding more in the middle. But I feel like the the few times that they've had played In Hiding near the top, it has kind of formulated and found its way a- a- and really felt like it belonged up there like it feels like it c- it can bring in that crowd to li- and and look I think the the one that I'm thinking of right here is obviously the Vic and that's a completely you know almost a 180 from what we have in Japan is the same kind of venue but completely different crowd that's going to react completely differently but I feel like it kind of has the same just sort of developing vibe to it instead of like bam just hit you with your typical two, three, four kind of songs that are going to show you what a show is right away.
3: And Satan's Bed is such a weird one because it is a a really deep cut that hasn't played very often, but I think it's one that a lot of people would react to. It's got a big chorus. It could be almost a sing-along. You could get everybody going a little bit. That one would be interesting to play early
0: as well. All right, I'll I'll take one more, and then I think we're going to share ours. Well, let's try to take this one seriously, okay?
4: Chris uh-oh. Riddell,
0: there is a big uh-oh here, yes. There's a big, big, big uh-oh. And it will come after the first song. Chris Riddell suggests Olay into Lucan, into Future Days, into Push Me, Pull Me.
2: Hmm. First of all, does that work? Well, No. <laughs> But I think if
3: you open up with Olay, I think half the crowd would just immediately walk out and be like, nope, I'm done. We'll catch you next time.
0: I would like the idea of future days and the push-me-pull-me. I think that that's, would be kind uh, of that's, awesome.
3: That's, that's, that's something.
0: Well, okay, what you put together? Because I put together kind of one that I thought was pretty close to what they did here. And mm-hmm. again, it, like I, I thought... Riot Act era, so I kind of went Riot Act heavy on mine. All or none, you are, I got shit, and finished with MFC. Hmm. I think that I got shit is really interesting because, again, not another that is going to hit you in the face right away. It's going to develop. And MFC also, like, to follow that is kind of in the same boat as to it being in the mid set somewhere. So you're just kind of pushing it up a little bit. And sometimes when you do see this, you kind of think like, Okay, well, it's kind of like when you hear that as the fourth song, your head immediately expects that you're already in the middle of the set. So it feels like you've been there longer than you actually have, if that makes any sense at all. Oh, so you're that trying was kind to of the idea.
3: Subconsciously make the show longer tricking yourself into thinking it's already half over
0: when it just started potentially maybe that wasn't the original idea of it but uh, yeah it devolved into that okay Do you have good. four
3: uh, yeah i've got tremor christ garden who you are and quick
0: escape that's interesting yeah i like tremor christ and garden back to back i think that would be very very cool And then finishing off with quick escape like that one's the obvious the home run. But Yeah. yeah, all right. Well look, thank you for everybody and sorry we didn't get a chance to read them all. We'd be here forever, but you know, keep submitting your stuff and at some point if we notice that you keep submitting every week, then we'll make sure okay, we got to get this person in cuz a lot of you guys have been doing it, well seemingly every time that we put it up. So, thank you guys for your continued participation into that. With that being said, I think we can actually talk about the four songs that we stemmed that past conversation about and that's going to begin with of the girl sort of almost like the ideal opener of a show like this because the song itself is a little bit stark. It doesn't have a lot of extracurricular things going on in it. Like It's very open up. You, you kind of wait for the middle parts and kind of wait for, for Mike to kind of do his thing in there, but it doesn't really kind of elevate to the lengths of other openers do. So this one is kind of a good idea of a warm-up song that would, I think, blend very, very well into Immortality in this spot. The decision that they made here for what they wanted to do was right on the money.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Of the Girl is good for feeling out the crowd as well, because it can kind of go either way. This one is very kind of reserved and low-key. And you even get the feeling, too, I think both Mike and Stone are both kind of, like, maybe noodling is not the right word, but maybe kind of just adding some different things here and there, testing things, playing some different things than what we normally hear them do here. I think they're just like, they came out, saw what they were dealing with, and like, okay, let's go with the other girl, and kind of gives you kind of chance to feel out the crowd and, and see what you got a little bit. Yeah, I think it works really well, and yeah, going into a song like Immortality Number Two is is gonna make this really really special.
0: You kind of brought up Catweasel before, and I believe that this was the opener for that show, if I'm not mistaken, which would make a lot of sense. And the little noodling thing, like at the end, that's really where it comes in because like it it starts to get a lot more bluesy and they start to kind of extend it. they were just kind of feeling out what kind of canvas they had with it. And I think that they would do that a little bit more in Immortality too. Like what do these songs have that are not on the surface? And you don't get that from every song, but there's a little bit of like, okay, we can expand upon things. And I think, you know, maybe in one of these shows, a little later in this run, we really get to see how far that expands. And that's with the song that we're about to talk about, Immortality. But yeah, I I think that there is a mentality of we can take the gamble today if if we feel like it. perfect going into immortality because you're taking a couple minutes to really let the set cook and marinate a little bit and especially where they play around with it and where they're going to play around with it is where mike solo in the middle comes in and usually it's about like I don't know, like two measures or so, or like two sections before you get into the big one. It took about like five different sections before it accelerated and elevated, but it also felt like every single one seemed like that was gonna be the one, and then they were just gonna go back into what the chorus was on the end of the song but they kind of tricked you in a little bit of way thinking that, no, we're, we're not going to get this elevated as, as much as you know it to be. This is going to stay pretty even keel, and then it kind of surprises you.
3: I think I loved what the stone was doing earlier on this set. I think mentioned a little bit of the girl, but Stone had a really good performance of the girl. Here as well, I thought Immortality He was spot on, especially during like what Mike was doing. Stone was doing some very cool stuff there, and it kind of led into that jam that they go into a little bit at the end. I love this here at number two. Yeah, make Immortality the permanent number two song. I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, I didn't expect it to kind of like blare out of the speakers like it did and ended up doing because it was just so anti-traditional in that way. And I guess A lot of what this show is going to be is just like taking time to process it and just a little bit of a slower progression into things. And I guess that's just kind of a way of telling you that, you know, the rest of the set is sort of going to mirror it. So that would take us into Insignificance Half Full. And I'm going to add Crop Duster on top of that, too. I know we didn't go into five, but. Out of the three, I was really impressed by Half Full. I thought that this version of Half Full, because the whole thing is so unconventional, it does give that song almost the the opportunity that it doesn't usually have to take a spotlight. Where A Corduroy and Hell Hell will always take the spotlight, Half Full giving the opportunity with less than 10 plays, this gives the band an idea of well, is this something that we can do more often? And it wasn't. It, you know, you go back to, I believe, Easy Street, the in-store show where I believe they opened with it, but not very often. And also, got to bring up from this past year, Budapest. I believe they played fifth at Budapest, which feels like a complete 180 from what they were doing on tour of last year, especially in Europe at that time. But yeah, I think it was just... Utilized so uniquely that it allowed the song to stand out a little bit more.
3: Yeah, and Half Full is one that it's. Of an anomaly on the back half of Riot Act, in that it does open up and it does give Mike a chance to go off a little bit, and it, it can be kind of a big song. Yeah, I think it works really well. I thought it was, when it gets to that ending part so far, I thought it just was just crushing. Like listening to what Cameron was doing was oh, he's just pounding the shit out of the drums, felt like they were really really pushing it and and that sounds really good as well but yeah half full felt really really heavy and really really just just crushing
0: but I just something about insignificance here like I was kind of expecting all right well let's get the power let's get all the intensity I didn't think that it had the natural intensity that this song had I think it was just a little bit reserved in that factor and I wonder if they would have played this third in a normal set list I don't want to call this not normal but you know where I'm going with that I wonder how much more impact it would have had, but I think that because things were just completely different here that they didn't really have an idea themselves of how it was going to work. So, therefore, it didn't quite get there, but that's where Half Full kind of was able to shine off of that and really become the one where all the energy was introduced right away. And Crop Duster was a very good performance here too. Like, you know, I think it was just bouncy and and very poppy. And if you want to say maybe there was some, like, uncomfortableness and some jitters, even from the first couple songs, just because it's a completely different thing that they're used to. Ed would even say in this show that soundcheck was really, really weird for them. Then I feel like Crop Duster and Half Full had a lot more confidence
3: you can do that with new songs too like even the band doesn't have like the baggage with new songs where if they go out and they do nothing man and sometimes and hail hail and it if it doesn't get a response then it's kind of like oh those songs usually hit they didn't hit so now what do we do But when you come out and play a bunch of new songs and even newer songs, the binaural stuff, you don't have that baggage with those songs. So if it works, great. If it doesn't, hey, it's it's a new song, we're still working out, so we're getting something out of it. It's a different way to go about doing it, to come out and play all these newer songs where you're not giving the crowd a chance to kind of, not disappoint, but not kind of like attach to songs and like maybe give them a chance to, to not be what they normally are.
0: And I wonder too, if they didn't essentially start the tour in Japan, say they did it more on the back end, if they did this in November or October or something like that, I wonder what the idea of the set would be like, and I wonder yeah. if there would be less attempts to make things work and more like, okay, we know this, this is going to work here, we're pretty confident with it, so we're just going to stick with it. I wonder if that would have been the case. Maybe. Yeah. Ed asks if he can say something in English, which is Arigato, that is not English, but also mentioned that Matt wrote Crop Duster. That's something I don't seem to remember all the time, but I guess it happened. And then goes around the horn introducing everybody, saying it's good to be back in Japan, and then kind of mentions, like, this is the one you're going to hear a lot from Mike on, which is going to be Nothing As It Seems into Even Flow. I like this version, Nothing As It Seems, a lot. And I think... You know, whenever you get sort of tough to say empty room because I'm sure it was filled, but more sparse room, nothing as it seems is able to take all the elements and and really reverberate. And I think that kind of Mike took the opportunity to allow it to soar. Matt was also driving the momentum on this and allowing Mike to shine with this and I think that all the time when you hear that those kind of versions that's always going to lift Mike up as well and yeah this was just a fun version of nothing as it seems hit all the right spots
3: yeah Cameron I thought was again the highlight on this one there's a part at the end like right when it kicks back in where it feels like he's just like lifting it on his shoulders and like pushing it up like it again I mentioned it a couple weeks ago about how kind of muscular it feels sometimes his drumming and this was one of those as well it felt like he really was just carrying it getting it back out there like a boulder but yeah really really good performance whenever Cameron's having a good night then that's going to elevate everything
0: hear much out of even flow that I hadn't heard before. Is my ear different from yours in this? Because it, it, it did feel like there might have been more of an opportunity to do a more bluesier identity to the solo, but it, it felt like he was going real showy here. He was getting sort of the Guitar Hero stuff in. And again, it's this is your first one that everybody in this crowd is supposed yeah. to know. So... It gave you the good energy, but it also feels like in comparison to everything else where they could have taken a different turn on it, maybe it was sort of a missed opportunity to do that.
3: Well, again, you get the feeling that, you know, Mike is there. I feel like he's going to try to channel his inner cheap trick there and, and go off. But again, I, th- I thought Cameron was the highlight on this, especially during that little break that he gets. It's very, very cool. I thought it was interesting too. Like you know, you're waiting at the end for the "Don't Vote Republican," but they're in Japan, so he he doesn't do it here.
0: Which is weird because he'll do it in Australia, he'll do it yeah. in Europe. But I guess there's just this idea of no talking politics over there. I'm not sure, but. Now we're going to get into a section that's going to be nothing but Riot Act for the next four songs, and it's very interesting. You're going to get Save You following Even Flow, Save You into You Are, and really what they're doing here so far is they're kind of packaging the more electric songs and the more like fast-tempo, high-tempo kind of songs together in twos, and then kind of dipping back for a couple of songs, and it doesn't feel like you're getting like a full what you would think is like a punk rock set or anything like that. They, they go even flow Save You and then already to You Are, which is more mid-tempo, and they'll stay there with Love Boat Captain and I Am Mine for, for a little bit, and even Better Man to an extent just at the beginning, but they don't take a lot of opportunities to play those big, one after the other sort of fast and kind of rocking songs that you would usually get in a set in kind of conjunction together.
3: Yeah, you know, no hail, hail, no animal, no go, no, nothing like that. Just a long stretch of right act here, right in the middle. I thought that was really interesting. But save you, I thought was really good coming off even flow. There's a part where where Ed is singing and it just he just transforms into that howl, and it was just like oh my god, like the voice is just on another level right there.
0: That was really Ed's first opportunity to really exert himself at the show. Like he was still feeling it out, I think, but. This one was the first time I think he got the opportunity to be like, "All right, I'm just going to leave it all out there for this,
3: as far as musically, I thought you are was definitely the most interesting, you know, with boom kind of layering on top. And then there was a part at the end where everyone kind of sounded electronic. It felt like they were all kind of playing through a synthesizer or something <laughs>
2: All right.
0: Screaming at them to play certain things, and I guess you're not allowed to scream there, so I wonder if they got kicked out. But it sounded like most of it is probably in English because, with how placid the Japanese crowds are. Ed makes his response, and he says, I don't understand you because I don't speak Japanese. So it was tongue-in-cheek little joke there, and introduces Boom for Love Boat Captain. I Am Mine is going to be paired with that, as we saw a couple weeks ago when we did Sydney. The two were paired. And, again, I kind of felt like with Love Boat Captain, they were still tapping back into that, you know, with a line, Lost Nine Friends were getting to know more and more each day. And it doesn't fully tap into, like, the sadness and and really a motive part of the song like it's it feels like it has a little bit more resolve to it but you can tell like they're starting to figure it out and this version is kind of one that they're like all right maybe we can just let the song be a song instead of let this be our complete emotion pouring out of it
3: yeah, it was kind of turning into what it would become. And I thought it was interesting, too. You did get to hear some of the crowd actually join in and do some clapping, and Ed kind of got them to do some participation stuff, too. So he's kind of like he's getting them on his side by now. We're like halfway through. They're getting warmed up. He's getting some energy back from the crowd a little okay. bit here.
1: love is all you need. All you need is love. Love, sing what? Love.
0: Yeah, and I am mine. Maybe after that, like it kind of leads into a little bit more intensity behind I am mine because it feels like there was a lot of fast drumming during it, yeah. and the bridge is really starting to escalate and starting to build once you get there. But also, like, kind of a quick and to the point version. They find their way through that song fairly easily. Like, that could be like a four minute song sometimes, but that felt like it went on for two, if you know what I mean.
3: (laughs) They definitely got in and out. Like, again, I always wish that they would stretch it out to five or six. Mike just gets like four or five seconds there at the end to do his thing, and then it's over.
0: Now, we're out of the riot act section, believe it or not. We've came and went with that. And. Better Man is the next song, and I think Better Man is an ideal example of you're not going to get exactly what you expect out of these songs from there. And I'm going to have to go back to, I believe it was a Tokyo version of this. I was listening to it one time, and I made notice to something that Ed did. Ed kind of took a step back for a second in the way that maybe he would give the crowd that can't find a better man spot and let them sing. And he did that for like half a second and then realized, Oh, I'm not going to get this from this crowd. So he had to kind of jump back in and make it a little bit awkward. It doesn't happen in this version, but I distinctively remember that from hearing a version of better man over there where I guess it was instinctual, that he thought that this was going to be a collaborative kind of song. Yeah, this
3: is a weird choice for here. It feels very out of place. It sticks out, you know, very prominently. And like, you haven't done these kind of songs like, yes, you're going to get even flow, if that makes sense. But why would you throw a big kind of crowd participation song like Better Man here, kind of in the middle of the back of this set? after you've just played a bunch of Rydex songs. I mean, it makes sense, you know, if you're playing in a place like that's it's going to be more receptive, that's going to have more familiarity with it. But yeah, this felt really strange. And you know, yeah, it's weird because he starts playing intro and you're like, man, he's not getting anything. And they do eventually come in kind of near the end. But yeah, very strange version. And again, very quick, like no tag, just play the song and get in and get out.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like it is the right spot for Better Man. It feels like maybe because we're so used to if there's going to be a call and response in the post-even flow section, it's probably going to be Daughter. And it does feel a little bit early for this, but it's also kind of how they're going to end the main set too, which is going to, again, you're not going to go to any more hits with that. So I wonder if they were just trying to figure out a way to just kind of end it big and better man with what they're going to do in the encore using songs like Black and River Mirror and Corduroy and stuff like that. Maybe they just thought that they needed something for that spot and they just picked that one to be the one. Maybe they they even thought that they were going to get a response off of it. And they just recognized that it wasn't going to work. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Out of all of the big songs to be played at these shows this might be the weirdest one because again it's so natural for an audience to just do what they do with this and it's so natural for ed to kind of those expectations that you would think easy you would get a version like this anywhere but this is proof that you don't
3: Yeah, I would love to see a video of this whole show, but especially Better Man to see what his reaction was and what he was feeling as he was playing this, what the mindset was.
0: Now you're, again, like I kind of mentioned, you're going to take a pivot from what the last handful of songs were, and you're going to go all pretty high-tempo, pretty high-energy stuff, with Luke and Brandon Jay and Grievance and then following you're going to get blood into Do The Evolution that's going to close and it's just interesting that they decided to kind of package all this together because this easily could have been the open for any normal show but they decided to kind of put it at the end and Lucan is just a moment where it is able to kind of go absolutely unhinged on I But it's also, in a way, it's kind of loose and it's kind of goofy when you get to blood in a little bit. Like, there's some, like, kind of goofiness in there. There's a little bit of, like, meandering and goofiness into the evolution, too. So they're kind of... It's tough to kind of tell what their mindset overall is in, in this. But I think it's just kind of like... This is what the show is going to be, and if we're not going to engage and get that full engagement with the crowd, then we're just going to enjoy it ourselves. I just don't know where they're coming from with this.
3: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think Lucan is definitely a chance to reset after Better Man, because you have to think that he knew that Better Man wasn't going to be what it normally is. So I think putting Luke in there is a chance to like, okay let's just reset and let me have a moment to just scream and, and be cathartic.
0: Just kind is that of his off. anger because it wasn't that? I don't know if it's anger
3: but maybe, I don't, I want to say like frustration but maybe just like acceptance. Like okay, like that was what it was. Let's just move on and, and do something completely different and then let's just let loose for, like you said, like just for ourselves to the end here. Because blood is definitely gets very very weird. Brain of J is the first yield song like that's weird too like we hadn't gotten a yield one up until this point. But yeah, it's definitely a chance to like that didn't work. We we thought it might work, it didn't, so let's just go for it from here on out.
0: Well, there is a moment in Brain of J too, where it seems like he gets a little bit tossed up and I think that kind of goes into them playing a little bit loose with some of these and he gets tossed up, and then when they get into, like, the name they gave me, the name I'm embarrassed to know, I- I'm wondering if, like, yeah. you know, that kind of was all tying in together, and I don't know, like, are they not feeling on their A-game? Like, but it's so weird, based off of what they're going to say later, is, like, we, we really like this. Do they really like this because they aren't necessarily getting judged like a regular crowd would and i don't know like that's the confusing part to me there's so many unknowns at this
3: yeah it's, I, I don't have a handle on on what he was going for there but yeah the performance is great i thought praying to jay was fantastic and then you know getting into grievance which like you're getting kind of the punk rock set later than earlier, but. Yeah, blood is the one that sticks out as being like super weird. Just why not go for it?
0: That you at least get like an adrenaline rush at a Luke and Brandy Jane grievance, and you would think like, okay, after those three, you can do that to Blood as well. But I think because you have those three, Blood doesn't have an edge, so it doesn't have the same rush. Like you have to create that balance, and maybe if you did Evolution into Blood, where Evolution can have its a lot more sectioned out and has kind of more pieces and it's a little less deliberate than a punk rock song, that if they closed with Blood, then maybe Blood would have kind of gone back to being more of that same kind of rush that you got from the other three. But maybe it's because they just sort of left it all out there with those, especially Ed, just doing some kind of like vocal gibberish before getting back into the end. Like it, it didn't feel... Like, it was, and I don't mean it as a bad thing, I, I, I'll keep saying loose, but it didn't feel like it was being taken seriously.
3: Yeah, maybe. I think you can go with that. I don't think they were necessarily, like, focused on the things that they were normally focused on at a show. Like, normally, you know, Ed's always taking care of the crowd and thinking about what the crowd wants and how the crowd's going to react to this. But here, he doesn't have to do that. So, yeah, it gets definitely a different kind of feel to it.
0: Well, when Five Horizons describes this crowd as being more like a movie theater, then, as he would say, like I guess that's coming up in the encore, the whole bit about soundcheck, but it's got to be tough for any band that does these kind of tours, night in, night out, to really feel what to expect. And I guess from the first night, they're not thinking, like, let's have a big rock and roll show at this point. They're just thinking... Almost like it's just them upstage. I don't I don't know. I, I really it's it's really, really tough to get in their mindset. Yep. And it's tough to get into the mindset of somebody that's watching and paying attention there. And if if we had that, then I think we kinda understand it more because maybe if somebody's there and somebody's watching and seeing what they do, how is it translating to the person in the audience? How is it translating to somebody that made the trip there from Europe, that made the trip there from Australia? Because those people are out there. I have talked to them. Unfortunately, we couldn't get them to come on a show today, but they are out there. There are few people. But also, it's like, okay, how about the person that Ed would say that people are coming straight from work? They're still wearing suits and ties, so how is that person taking it all in is are they just like less judgmental about the whole thing and less like oh they did that and sort of like this is just their show i'm gonna take it at face value like maybe it's just that maybe it's just that easy Yeah, just to kind of, I guess, get Evolution in because it is the closer. It does feel like it is loose. Ed's kind of joking around with it a little bit. I think there's a change to Mike's the first man to play a Strat. I guess he's pointing over to Mike and he says that's the first man to play a Strat. And it wasn't like this hard, intense, do the Evolution, but I guess it didn't need to be if you kind of had that package together with Blood. I think they were showing you what kind of mood they were in.
3: Having it be the last song of the main set is going to give it a little bit of push towards the end. And I think they do try to get it going on the last chorus and kind of build it up to a big ending, which I think works really well on Evolution. It's not a song that has to have, you know, a big participation. They can just blast through it and and go for it. So, yeah, I thought it worked really well.
0: Okay, sitting here at the Encore, let's pause for station identification and talk about some stuff. Let's thank some people. We got some brand new patrons this week. And some people that we met for the first time. That was great to meet. We'll get into who they are and what they did in just a second. But let's first thank our brand new Gigaleg member, Jeffrey Oceani. I believe that's going to be the way that I pronounce that. I hope that's close to being right. Oceani, something like that. <laughs> hope we're close. But joining up on the gig leg tier, that's awesome. And hopefully you get to take advantage of all that and send in a show request and let us know what you want to cover for the future. And also we have two other new patrons this week, as I mentioned, their, their names will come up. Ken Pyrus, So thank you, Ken. And also Robert Horace as well. And those names, if you've heard them, Already, it's because you've listened to the Setlist Draft. They are back and they are on our Patreon now we did the first one for the next bracket so we're going to go and and do the whole thing again and for social media purposes and Patreon purposes you'll be able to look at the sets and you'll be able to vote and we'll get all that in and and do the thing all over again and find an ultimate winner and then again another time and maybe again another time and we'll create this whole thing and it's just fun Like more and more people want to get involved so we'll continue to do that. That's actually out on Patreon right now. That's the whole thing that we're talking about if you want to join on patreon patreon.com slash live on four legs there's three tiers if you want to just join up just to get the content and enjoy what we're doing and throw us a buck it's just the bonus like tier that'll get you all that if you want a little bit for yourselves, then either donate on the Giga Leg tier, which is $5 a month, and we'll get you an episode of your choosing. And then the Horizon Leg tier, which is $10 a month, will go directly into the website funding and we'll also get you a profile episode of basically your whole entire fandom. And we'll get you a profile on liveonfourlegs.com as well. So those things are little perks that we give to you guys as a thank you for chipping in and, and making this what this whole thing is and yeah we're just going to keep going as I mentioned last week in preparation to go to Seattle for record store day and hopefully Some of the funding from Patreon will get me through a little bit of the travel situation and all that. So thank you guys for continuing to support. And and for that, and for being able to go there and do all those things, there will be live streams, there will be documented footage, and there will be a lot of things that we'll be doing to hopefully keep in touch with you at the time and just kind of keep you guys connected as all things Record Store Day and and Mopop and, and Rockford's happened up there at the end of April. So we'll keep you notified as to what's going on once we get closer to that, but I just wanted to thank all of you that we're donating and helping out for funding that. Once again, you can join up on Patreon, patreon.com slash liveonfourlegs, or go to the Patreon app, download it, and search for Live on Four Legs, or you can also go to liveonfourlegs.com and do that, but liveonfourlegs.com is is filled this week it feels like we have a lot of brand new content and because there was a huge concertpedia dump here do you want to tell them what got dumped out from concertpedia wise
3: yeah a lot of 2013 getting into finishing up the east coast getting into the west coast stuff Maybe by the time that you guys are listening to this, they'll all be up there all the way through the end of the year. So it would be a, a good time to go kind of like read through those, kind of relive that a little bit going on 10 years. Thanks to everyone who submitted those. I know it took a while, but they're finally out there and up. So you can go check it out and excited to get into to 2012. Keep it going.
0: And lest I forget that there are other... New things for content wise on Patreon. We do have a new episode of the late night series that came out earlier this week, and that focuses on the Saturday Night Live 2006 performances of Worldwide Suicide and Severed Hand, hosted by Lindsay Lohan, which we'll talk about just a little bit. And we also from last week had a brand new episode from the Hallucinogenic Recipe podcast, and that is about Hallucinogenic Recipe, the box set. So People have been uh, saying good things about that over there, so if those are two pieces of content that you want to go check out, then follow all the directions that I said before about joining on Patreon, and that's all there is for that this week. Back to The Rock. So, this is interesting here because you're coming back out to Bush Leaguer, and while Five Horizons has no indication as to whether Ed was in full regalia for this. It feels like there are a few moments where the crowd has some sudden outbursts and it makes me think that either Ed's doing some sort of theatrical things or he's actually wearing something and the crowd is reacting to it.
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely some theatrics going on. I would think probably the Bush mask and maybe the Bush mask had to drink a little bit. But yeah, I, I noticed that too. There's definitely some obvious moments where you hear the crowd kind of rise up and, and make themselves known. So yeah, there's definitely something going on here.
0: You know, this is a better performance than the one that we saw a couple weeks ago too, because that one, I kind of mentioned that it just sort of meandered a little bit. It felt like it was kind of, I don't know, it was lacking a little bit of life, but I, I, it felt like this version had some fun fun elements and at the end you kind of had Mike doing a little bit of spacey things that sounded pretty cool and Ed does a little bit of vocal run, so it really I think it kind of needed that from Ed because if you don't have that then I guess that kind of just makes it trail off a little bit so involve Ed more with the end of the song it, it does happened to jam and let go a little bit but i think when ed is involved and kind of adds his own thing on it it makes it more interesting it doesn't linger as much
3: yeah it definitely felt better i think there was a moment too where it felt like i think there was like an echo on ed's vocal it kind of like it was doubling the vocal a little bit
0: It's it happened on the song before yeah
3: but it felt like that was taken care of very quickly and they they got back to it but Yeah, definitely another one that that Stone really gets a chance to lead, and he's going to be the one to drive it. Yeah, I thought Stone had a really good performance.
0: So it's hard not to make comparisons to what we had just covered from Sydney because it's just all kind of right there, but they're two weeks apart. And I think that the comparison for thumbing my way is very interesting between the two performances from this night and from that one. And I think that a lot of what we were feeling with the Sydney version was a lot of heartache, devastation, and the version itself just felt full. It felt like all the pieces really blended in together really nicely. And I didn't quite get that from this. I think it was a little bit more sparse. I think that especially McCready's flourishes are a little bit milder on this, while the other one might've painted sort of a fuller version of what the song is. Like this felt like a little bit of an extension as to what an acoustic version of Thumbing My Way is, which is not bad, but it doesn't have that same emotive energy that the other one did
3: yeah i think i remember i gushed about that version of filming my way i think mean, it was pretty much note perfect hit all of those moments that you want in a song like that and yeah this one I thought was good but it's I don't think it compares to the Sydney version that one that one was special this one again just felt like kind of going for the moment like like you said let it be sparse just kind of have it kind of be a more stripped down version and I don't think it needed to to hit those things because you've got black next and that's going to fill that quota.
0: Black is one of the most interesting moments on this show. No, yeah. Like, this took a left turn that I wasn't expecting it to take. And I guess it's kind of in the same aspect that Immortality did, too, where it's like, okay, you didn't actually expect the solo to explode like that, but this is sort of the same thing. Now, right away, this feels like a traditional bridge school-type version of this. We've heard this version on the bridge school shows before. Black, I think, is like the second or third most song that was played at those bridge school shows. So you've gotten a lot of renditions and I think a lot of them had that same sort of feel to it. And even beginning, I don't know if I've ever heard this before, but it doesn't do the hey, he does more of like a, a yeah instead and does yeah instead of hey. I don't know if I've ever heard that from that. That was interesting. I noticed, too,
3: like given it more of the bridge school feel, you could definitely hear boom on the intro of that piano very prominently, giving it kind of like that classic kind of timeless sound that those versions have.
0: Yeah, it's another layer that you just don't get to see, but along with that where your mind is expecting it to kind of just stay like vertical version and in those versions, Mike is typically known for doing the staccato strumming a lot. And in this... He starts to explode and he starts to kind of get let out of the cage and have that emotional outburst of a solo Extremely electric and I don't think that anybody in the right mind would have expected that That was gonna come out of Mike at the beginning of the song I was completely like not just blown away, but just like in shock that this version turned into what it did you know, but it also kind of comes full circle at the end too, where it just sort of fades out and it kind of ends on that sort of delicate plane that that it sort of started off with, but yeah. I didn't expect the solo for Mike to be anything like this and they pulled it out, making sure the expectations are just blown through the roof, I suppose.
3: Yeah, I mean that's what might do and again he hasn't had many chances since since earlier to kinda of let it loose. Yeah, I thought he was he was really good on this. It is kind of a, a left turn, a one eighty from what the set is, but he can do that. Like he can give a song like that jolt of electricity and, and get it going and kind of inject that energy into it. But you talked about the ending too. I I love when black ends like that, when they just get really kind of tender and delicate with it and just kind of let it come in just nice and gentle to the end and just kind of let it fall apart that was very cool yeah black was one of the highlights for me i really enjoyed this version
0: So, Ed's going to speak here, and this is going to be the most substantial amount of time that he's speaking for in this whole entire show. He says, This is probably the least amount of people we've played to in quite a long time. It's also the best it's felt in quite a long time. It's very interesting. That can be dissected in so many ways, as we tried to earlier, but... I'll I'll take it for base value and and sort of figure it out on our own at some point, but soundcheck didn't feel good at all, but once you guys were here it's been really great. And also I'll say since it's the first time being back in Japan and Sendai in this very same room, we forgot how early you're supposed to start. So we feel like we should play until 1130 or something. Some of the folks must have come from work because I see more ties than usual. I think if you go to work wearing the same thing they won't even notice, you'll be alright. This one's a B-side that's rarely played. It is only the 6th all-time performance of You. Hadn't been played since late October 2000. Overall, 27 shows in between, but out of the real overall, the number is 24 times that they had played You all-time. And that means there was only 18 versions after this. So, it's a great pop-rock song that we almost never get to talk about. And, yeah, I know that you like this song a whole lot, so what do you think of it? It really, really rare for the time, so.
3: Yeah, again, really strange coming off of Black. You're gonna take this, like, big moment and then you're gonna play this kind of throwaway B side that's, that's two, two and a half minutes, but I love you, I, I think it's really cool and it can do something really cool in a set to you, like, uh, i kind of give it a lighter moment. But again, a, a weird choice to play, you know, halfway around the world. It just doesn't make any sense, but the performance itself thought it was fine. I guess Stone disagreed, but I, I thought I thought it was cooler than any time you shows up, on am excited.
0: I'm going to go back to sort of what we mentioned before, where the set lists can be so much different here because it's almost like compared to the shows where they have to completely be on A-game. And that's i shouldn't even say that like they are obviously trying to be on their a-game here but i'm saying shows that to consider bringing this song into set lists that are in big cities that they can utilize the song in big spots this is a test run for it so that's that's the essential motivation behind playing it here But I guess because Stone didn't like it, then that's the reason why you don't really get to hear it much more after this, but it's going to be followed up by Last Kiss, and I think a lot of people there are probably going to get their eyes widened when they hear this, because it's like literally their most popular song at that time. There's some engagement with the crowd, too, and I don't know if it came across very well in that building. On the bootleg, it felt kind of non-existent, but it really felt like Ed for this one was making the attempt to get the crowd involved because out of everything, he probably could have.
3: Yeah, Last Kiss feels like one more attempt to like, let's see if we can get some some engagement and some participation going and yeah i would again i would really love to see a video of this to see like what the reaction was and and what he was actually trying to do i mean it felt like yeah like you said like their biggest song at the time their most popular song so we should have been able to get there but it's hard to tell with only you know a thousand people there
0: yeah the crowd will hop back in a little bit later and once they kind of end the set they'll make their presence felt but yeah just weird just weird how on last kiss there wasn't like a lot of like clapping and like doing the oh, oh, oh there wasn't a lot yeah. of that so yeah a little strange but that's that's what you get that's what you get from these river mirror is going to close your set You know, on the short side, a little bit from the bridge, but I think that it's Jeff's base run that kind of leads to some more, like, atmospheric and and especially a lot of the Evo stuff that's coming off Ed on this. It does feel a little bit more like an experimental version, but I think that the bridge is, while very good, I think that it's built upon the foundation of how it ends and how intense this gets to finish up here yeah i even thought at the ending too like did we hear ed pick up the ebo again like while they're kind of ending this and, and kind of using some of that sound again because that's I, I thought i heard that
3: definitely possible like there's definitely some space here stuff going on but i mean you mentioned i thought the absolute highlight was jeff's bass line on the jam there that little the new, that little two note thing that he's doing over and over again really i thought was really cool. I hadn't heard that, in a long time, if ever. Thought it added a lot and like gave them the space to kind of go, go off and do it. But I mean, a song like Rearview Mirror fits perfectly in with this set because it's introspective. They can kind of like bring it together and kind of keep it insular. And doesn't need a big crowd moment. They can kind of go off on the jam and meander and take it into lots of different places that they can kind of space it out with. But Yeah, I thought this fit perfectly. If this had been the end of the show, I think that would have been perfect.
0: Yeah, it sure could have been. Yeah, but hey, look, I guess they got to play closer to 1130 than than we thought they did. So we're going to get four songs in Encore 2. It's going to start out with Soon Forget and Corduroy. Soon Forget is actually, like, it's interesting. Almost a talking point to this. Usually because the ukulele and because it's just Ed, like, there's not really much to say but it felt like ed was actually pursuing like a pretty determined version of this and like very natural he gets the crowd to clap along the crowd actually is engaged in this a little bit and yeah it just like there's a little tension on it too that 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 felt interesting and usually at this point especially after the binaural tour where he had really been into that and was playing it a lot, it felt like a lot of these versions that would come a little bit later would be like, all right, well, he's kind of messing around. He's kind of joking with it a little bit more and he's screwing up a little bit and laughing at himself and he's changing the lyrics and stuff like that. But no, I I think he he took this one really seriously and it sounded like it was something that he had worked on and, and wanted to play.
3: Yeah, and there was a. I think it, it's helped by the crowd too, because there was a long-standing kind of theme with we'll "Soon Forget." Is like the crowd would start to clap along, and it would mess him up. There were even a couple of times I think late in 2000, we have to be like, "Stop clapping! I know you're gonna want to clap, but don't, because it's gonna mess me up." Because it's got kind of a he needs to play it in like a weird rhythm, and I think it's helped by the fact that the crowd here is not clapping along at the beginning. And it kind of gives him a chance to get into the rhythm and get comfortable with it and kind of get going with it. Before they do start clapping, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, no, he's he's going to throw him off. But he got through it, even got through the the stiffening line and everything. So, yeah, all in all, uh, really good performance to soon forget. We don't, another one we don't get to talk about very often. Did you notice he does a quick, like, return to sender thing, like an Elvis reference no. with the ukulele right as it comes out? No. I don't know if that was, like, did Elvis have a, like, is there a Elvis in Japan reference there?
0: Yes. That, that maybe he was going for? The poster. Yep. The poster is Elvis, so yep. that's yep. something. Yep. This is weird to kind of think of it this way, but, like, Corduroy, Crazy Mary, and Porch are sort of... Replace that with a live rocking in the free world yellow better, and think of it in that mentality. And I guess from that standpoint, like corduroy has to be the one that it's like, okay, the one before you go. And I think that Crazy Mary would kind of fill that a little bit more, but it's interesting to talk about corduroy as the utilization for that because it's a never that and b. Also kind of felt like I don't know. I was a little confused by Corduroy and its placement here. I love it. I love that it was placed somewhere else outside of like the top five, but I was a little bit confused by this version.
3: Yeah, it definitely has a different feel to it. Again, just the kind of theme of the show is just flipping everything on its head. So it just gives us a chance to see what Corduroy would be like in in Encore 2. And like I thought it definitely had a different feel to it like when it's we talk about it early on it feels like more triumphant and you're kind of getting the crowd going and you're building this energy but here it felt like it was kind of like taking that energy and kind of like pushing it down and pushing it towards the end and kind of getting it to the finish line and again like i'm I'm with you it felt really really
0: strange it's tough to like see latter-day versions of this and not think of it as an anthemic song and I don't think it's given the opportunity to be anthemic either, but I also think that kind of is what hinders it at the end. And again, there are some songs that I think you just need the crowd to respond to and react to. And if they don't, then it just kind of throws the whole key off. And yeah, just little, little things. But that's the thing you got to do. You got to keep these songs fresh, too. And you have to play these songs because they are fresh in their heads but you might not get what you expect from it. So that kind of hindered it a little bit. Crazy Mary and Porch is a really good ending though. I thought that these two were very, very strong. You're only getting the fourth rendition with Boom and the song is still developing into what we know it to become the verses are a lot more relaxed and easygoing. once you get into the solo there's no duel per se in this which that would come a little bit later like they would start dueling here and there but like it's all boom at first then it's going to be all mike and personally i like mike's part more because i think that on top of mike you were able to hear essentially what boom was doing and hear that kind of sound filling the gaps between Mike, but you weren't hearing the same thing. You were just hearing boom go off. And I thought that, that element kind of helped Mike's stand out a little bit more.
3: Mike's felt a little more like refined and a little more like melodic like in tune with the vibe of the song. It just felt like they told Boom, just like, hey man, when the time comes, just go nuts and go off on it, don't worry about anything else, we'll figure it out. He was just kind of trying to be just over the top with it. And then Mike felt a little bit more like in line with what the rest of the band was doing for the rest of the song.
0: So is it weird to say that Porch is closing this out? Because the numbers say that it is. In this little run from Australia up until the end of Japan, this was actually only the second time that they had played it, and they would play it once more in Japan. And in 2003 altogether, it's played at under 30% of the shows. Yeah, that's that's not something that we know right now. That, that, yeah,
3: it's, that, it's up to like 99%
0: now. Oh, yeah. And I guess the 1% is what? Like them doing like an in-store or something like that and not that doesn't even happen but still you know to get porch even out of its closing the main set role is extremely difficult but they weren't closing shows necessarily with this this is a 1992 and 91 thing that they would firmly close shows with this but you'd have to go back to hard for 1998 being the last time that this was the last song but this is cool I I really like this version I really dug it because it kind of all stems off of Jeff doing the bass line for War Pigs and from there Mike is kind of able to play off that a little bit and kind of add it into his solo a little bit and there's two different solos here there's a Mike section and there's a Stone section and it's terrific my only complaint about it is Stone is extremely low in the right ear but you kind of get to hear what he's doing and you kind of get to hear him go off and, you know, kind of like Mike didn't get a lot of massive moments. Stone didn't get a lot of massive solos on this either. He got the Brain of Jay and he got the Evolution, but like still, I think that this was kind of a, a nice little shared thing. You don't usually get them both the spotlight on porch at all so maybe this was just another thing where all things are being experimented at these shows and this was just another thing where they they felt like they could so since this is the last song we haven't heard from our gear guru yet today why don't we get him in here to kind of go over what we just talked about the two solos and sort of the juxtaposition between the two let's hear from Javier talking about Mike and Stone
4: hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So, Porch. Actually, there's not a lot of pedals or stuff to talk about in Porch. The really cool thing about this version, at least in my opinion, is how Mike and Stone, they're playing kind of like ping-pong with one another. It's very interesting to hear Mike on the left side of the mix, just basically playing with the tone and with the volume of the guitar. He can get very muddy. He can get very pressing. He can get it a little bit more driven. He can back up, so Stone can have more space. And I was trying to do research about this. I'm pretty sure that for this version, he used to give some flying B. That's the best that I can guess. Uh, there's no so if somebody has confirmation about that that will be great but for the tone of the guitar i'm pretty sure that it's a Gibson Flying B but again going back to that it's very fun to listen at them just to basically getting feedback from one or the other Sometimes Mike will get like little pieces of Iron Maiden in between that bridge right before they jump into the final part. And then Stone get this very edgy, noisy, very nasal tone, kind of like Neil Young kind of thing. Very sharp, like you have like a razor cut in your guitar. Awesome version. And basically proves that all the tone comes from their hands. Not a lot of effects, but excellent use of their hands and excellent use of a volume knob and a tone knob. So we wait until the end,
0: but never a bad thing to get him on. Thanks once again, Javier. Great stuff as always, and we'll see you again next week.
3: And even I think Ed's doing a little bit of Blitzkrieg bop in there too, trying to, to get everybody like one last chance to kind of go for it.
0: And I guess that because it's the last chance, they really do. You know, yeah. it feels yeah. like the crowd actually gets them a really good response out of this. Like, he gets some haze and he gets them like a little bit of the hey-ho, let's go at the end. And, and it allows them to finish off pretty big, which I don't think that you would have been able to expect.
3: Closed like a couple. I think 2006. There was a couple, and then that might be it. Maybe one more, but hasn't happened
0: very often since the show. No, but it all kind of ended up the way it did, and it's again, it's pretty much inevitable. Every single Pearl Jam show that you go to. Now I'm thinking about it. There were two shows where I didn't get to see Portugal this past year. So there you have it and play Portrait every show in in, in 2022. So, uh, anyway, let's get to the three stars of this show. What do you got? You can go first.
3: I'm going to go Half Full, number three. Immortality, number two. And Black, number
0: one. Yeah, pretty similar. I got Black and Half Full in mine as well. I'm going to go... Probably porch three. I'm gonna go black two. I'm gonna go half fulls number one because sometimes when a song that's not on your radar comes back and kind of kicks in a little bit and says, "Hey, this has always been a great song." What, what have you been thinking? And it's not it's not one I'll go back to a whole lot, but like this is a version of half full that made me think, okay, I need to give it a little bit more respect. So there's my respect given at the number one. All right, a rating will be very interesting, too. So let's see what is going to come out of this.
3: Yeah, this is tough because, you know, we always talk about the crowd being such an important part of these classic shows. Like, I'm in the category of, like, I love these kind of weird, like, little one-offs that that they do here. So I'm going to give this maybe a little higher rating than it deserves, and I'm fully aware of that. I'm going to say eight and a half on this
0: one. Yeah, that, that is pretty high. I'm not going that high. And I think that, you know, they're unique and they're they're weird and, like, that being a good thing. But I also think that, like, they're allowed to be unique and weird and not be at, like, the top of, like, the best of list sort of thing. I think it's in sort of its own category. And I, I had a little bit of a tough time with this one because, again, like, I would have really loved some perspective on it. And that's something that we just didn't have from this show. And I think that would have helped us kind of figure out like the odds and ends as to what the idea and what kind of the crowd took from it and all that. But we just didn't have it. So, yeah, a lot of that is going to kind of boil down to what my rating is here. And again, it's kind of a lot of it is is throwing it at the wall and seeing if it's going to stick. but also, like it has to stick. it's It's a weird show. It's tough to listen to, but it's also enjoyable. I'm giving it a seven. That's where I am with that. But I think that a lot of these from this little run here are kind of in the same boat. Like, you don't get a lot of shows that are like, whoa, that was a show of a lifetime. Like, they're all kind of quirky. They all have weird things in their sets, and they all kind of have crowds that are a little bit more reserved. So, yeah, that's, that's a seven for me. All uh, right, now let's dig into next week's show. We're going to go back. I know a lot of the last couple of weeks we've been doing some anniversaries. This is obviously celebrating the 2003 anniversary series that we've been doing this year. And because there were there were no more 2003 shows that, that happened until April, we'll get back into it in April. But right now, we'll uh, go back into some Patreon-requested shows, and we will... Dig into the first night of Philadelphia in 2016. That is a Patreon request from Scott McQueen. So, this is the one that nobody really talks about because the next night would make it essentially irrelevant. So, we come into play here to find out why it's supposed to be talked about and why you guys should listen to it, which for people that were there, they really do love this show. But again, it's not ten Adelphi. It's Philadelphia. It, it, they didn't play ten in full, so it doesn't get the same, or even anywhere close to the same amount of love as as night two does. So that's what we're doing for next week. And I don't think I've listened to that very often. So interested to dig into it.
3: But definitely, so, a, a, we're gonna be talking about a different kind of crowd.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think we'll be back to you know what a Pearl Jam crowd really feels like. All right. Well. Look, if you liked what you heard today, then help us out a little bit and head on over to your favorite platform to listen to podcasts, either being Apple or Spotify, just to name the couple of top ones, and help us out by giving us a rating, rating us five stars. And then on Apple, you can't do this on Spotify, but on Apple, you can comment and you can tell the world that's looking for Pearl Jam podcasts and content how you feel about us and what you think of the show. And that's just going to help the next person that's listening for something and hopefully looking for some of their shows to go back and enjoy. And if they dig it, then they're going to tell a friend, you're going to tell a friend, hopefully everybody else tells friends, and that's how this thing works. It kind of works word of mouth. So we say it every week, and again, our goal this year is to get to 100 ratings on Apple by the end of the year. So we can't do that ourselves, so we ask you for a little bit of help. Help our visibility, help out the podcast wherever you can, and just a small thing that goes into just putting it all together so for all everybody that's done that before we thank you and hopefully we get a little bit more as we go along in the next coming months and weeks and and all that so all right let's say goodbye before getting into philadelphia tomorrow this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always well it's a different crowd than japan but i don't know does japan have a mascot called gritty Huh, I'm not sure. Japan's, Japan's got lots of mascots. They do have lots of mascots. They're literally probably the the world capital of mascots, but I don't think they have one called Gritty. But Philadelphia didn't have one at the time either. So we'll just see you next week. We'll talk all about it. Arigato.